Thanks for joining us on the Hope Podcast. Hope Community Church exists to love people where they are and help them grow in their relationship with Jesus Christ. By pursuing this relationship together, we can change the world. For message notes and links to big things going on at Hope, check out the notes section below. When you're done listening to this episode, take a minute to follow us here, subscribe to our YouTube channel, and download our free app. From there, you can find all of our recent message content, additional resources, and more. If you like what you hear today, we encourage you to share this with your friends or family. Enjoy. Well, uh, this summer, uh, my family and I did something a little crazy, crazy for us, maybe not crazy for you. Some of you do this all the time. But we decided for our summer vacation this year, we were going to rent an RV for two weeks and drive all around Southern California. And so that's what we did. Uh, We flew into San Diego and we rented a 32-foot RV, which is about 100 feet longer than my truck. It felt like it. And uh, we crammed in a 3-year-old, a 12-year-old, a 13-year-old, me and Jenny, and we packed the fridge and uh, we packed everything out. And uh, we drove all over California, slowly at first. Uh, It took me getting used to driving around like a six-story building on like city streets, but I got used to it. And uh, we went all over Southern California. I learned uh, how RVs worked. I learned all the electricity and how to set it up and set up camp. And uh, it may be deeply grateful for toilets that you don't have to empty yourself. Uh, through a clear tube uh, the day after you use them. So praise God for that. Uh, but we went to uh, Joshua Tree from San Diego. Then we went up to Sequoia. And then we went to Yosemite. And then we went to San Francisco. We drove down to Big Sur. And then all the way back down to San Diego. And uh, it was the time of our life. It was great. A lot of these places didn't have any cell phone service or internet. So you kind of unplug. And it was really fun to watch my kids' heads explode when they're like, no TikTok for four days. Yeah, four days. Um, The first place we went was Joshua Tree, and it was my favorite part of the whole entire trip. Anybody ever been there? Yeah, a few of you type online. If you've been to Joshua Tree, just give a thumbs up. But uh, it's the first time I've ever been there. And it was crazy how the scenery just changed as we were driving there. So you go from the populated city of San Diego with these green rolling hills, and then it slowly gets browner and browner, and then you hit like the high desert. And it's just this, this desert, desolate wilderness with rocks every now and then. And uh, it was the first time I'd ever been in that type of environment in my life. And I remember sitting outside, once the sun went down and it got below 104 degrees, I went and sat outside and uh, as the sun was going down and I took out my Bible and was just reading in Genesis and Exodus and it occurred to me that I was actually sitting in the same sort of environment that God brought a lot of the people that he loved into for long seasons of their lives. And I began to kind of rehearse some of the stories in the Bible where God led people into the wilderness. And there was Abraham and Sarah, um, and there was Hagar and Ishmael, um, and there was Moses and Miriam, and Elijah spent some time there, and uh, Gomer out of the book Hosea, David spent some time in the wilderness, and John the Baptist spent most of his life in the type of environment that I was in. And of course, we know that God, through his spirit, led Jesus into the wilderness for 40 days to be tempted uh, by Satan. And I remember just sitting there in that chair and like some of these stories just coming alive. Like I felt like a connection to some of these stories like I never had before. I actually looked up once the sun went down and Joshua Tree is a protected stargazing site, which means there's no light pollution and there's no air pollution because there's hardly any cars around. And I remember the first time I looked up, it was millions of more stars than I had ever seen in my entire life. 
Very different night sky than back home in North Carolina. And I remembered that time where God said, hey, Abraham, you want to know how many kids you're going to have? Look up. And he was in the wilderness when he did that. And that, that would have been so much more impressive in the desert, right? Abraham saw millions and millions and millions of stars. Like, oh, my goodness, it's a lot of kids. Or uh, we went hiking the next day. When we started hiking, it seems like just this, this valley of death almost, like no life could survive. But if you slow down and you just get quiet and listen, you'll start to hear like this scurrying. And you'll notice a little lizard here and a little lizard there and a little mouse there and a little field mouse over there going into its burrows. And you start to hear like the buzzing of flies and you see like swarms of bees going in and out of caves because that's where they keep their, their hives. That's where they keep their honey. And it occurred to me like, oh, that's why John the Baptist ate honey and locusts because that's all that's out here. But it occurred to me that you could actually survive a long time out here if you knew what you were doing and Story after story was going through my head. And at the end of the trip, um, we asked each other, we went around, what was your favorite part of the trip? And my two older girls loved San Francisco because it was uh, a city and they had internet. And my wife really loved Sequoia. And our little foster kid, she really loved the saltwater pool in San Diego. Even like probably once or twice a week. Dad, can we go to saltwater pool in California? I'm like, not today, maybe tomorrow. Uh, but that was her favorite part. But they asked me what my favorite part was. And I had to say it was Joshua Tree. And they're like, why? Why did you like that place? It was a desolate desert. And I said, it's because it's the exact type of place that God brings the people that he loves. Which is a weird sentence if you think about it. Because you think, okay, if God, if you love me, you're going to bring me into a land flowing with milk and honey. Or you're going to bring me to like this awesome beachside village. But no, time and time after time, we see that God brings his people into the desolate wilderness, into the desert. And I started to think when I was sitting there in my camp chair that night that even though God had never literally brought me into a desert until like that moment, there were some, some, some figurative desert seasons or wilderness seasons in my life. There were seasons in my life where I felt like I felt right, right then, like alone, a little confused, a little directionless, some, some questions in my heart, God, what are you doing? Like uh, uh, nine months after me and Jenny got married, not a baby, uh, but we got a, I, I quit my first full-time job with benefits and everything. We just didn't feel like God wanted us in that place. And for a few months, I was like, I don't know where we should go. I don't know what I should do. I don't know who I should be. And it was this, this season of just walking through the desert, it seemed like. Or maybe you, you dads can identify the moment they handed me my firstborn daughter. And it's this fragile, beautiful little thing. And they placed her in my arms. And I'm like, you're going to trust me with this? And uh, it's like that, that moment you realize that, God, you're calling me to something that I don't have the power or the wisdom to do. What in the, how do you do this? Um, or I thought about some relational seasons of wilderness. You know, Jenny and I have been married for 15 years, but there were some times where there was some conflict there and it didn't get resolved overnight. Or there was some relational conflict with extended family or friends in my life where there was a miscommunication or some words were said that, that I wish weren't said and, and just confusion of how to mend that relationship. Just seasons where it's kind of dry, kind of lonely, lots of questions and doubts. And as I thought back over my life, I began to see, yeah, there's a pattern. God brings me into these wilderness seasons often. And I think if you look back on your life, even though it's not a literal desert, I think all of us have been led by God into seasons of relational or maybe medical or job or life plan or even spiritual 
wilderness. We're this season in our life where it just, just when everything seems fine and everything seems to be working out, bam, the scenery just changes and we find ourselves alone and confused and not really sure what God's up to. You had those seasons before? And so I thought, how cool would it be as a congregation, as a church family, to just take a few weeks to dive deep into some of the wilderness excursions that God led his people through and see if it um, could help us make sense of our own wilderness journeys, to see if it could help us understand God's purposes in our desert seasons as well, because there's always a purpose. You just have to know where to look. And so that's what we're going to do the next few weeks as we kick off this series, this series of talks that we're calling In the Wilderness. Does that sound good with y'all? Yeah? You excited? Cool. Well, if you have your Bibles, uh, you can go ahead and turn with me to Exodus chapter 6. I just want to show you the shortest snapshot and the shortest wilderness um, excursion that I could find an example of in the Bible where we see just two reasons that God might lead us into the desert. But this is just going to whet our appetite because in the coming weeks we're going to dive deep on how God uses the wilderness uniquely in different people's lives to accomplish his purpose. But Exodus chapter 6, it's about Israel's very, very short-lived um, wilderness wandering before the 40 years. This is kind of like the prelude. Um, but if you were here a few weeks ago, it's kind of when we talked about uh, with Moses. Uh, but if you're new to the Bible at this point in God's story, the Israelites have been in captivity in Egypt for about 400 years. And so they're brick makers, Pharaoh's taking advantage of them, and God's come on the scene and he's like, all right, the time is ripe, it's time for freedom. And so he's talking to Moses and he says this in verse 6, therefore, say to the people of Israel, I am the Lord. I'll free you from your oppressors and will rescue you from your slavery in Egypt. I will redeem you with a powerful, powerful arm and great acts of judgment. And I will claim you as my own. And I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God who has freed you from your oppression in Egypt. And verse 8, I'll not only free you, but I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. We're going to talk about a few of those guys in the coming weeks. And I will give it to you as your very own possession. I am the Lord. Now notice God's promise kind of involves two things. It's not just freedom, but it's also a land. So I, I promise to free you from Egypt, but also to lead you into the promised land. So if you're Moses or if you were Israel, you would hear, well, this is a two-step plan. This is a two-step process. Step one, freedom. Step two, promised land. But um, God makes good on that first step, okay? So he, he works in Pharaoh's heart. He brings about 10 plagues, uh, the last one being the plague of the firstborn. And Pharaoh finally gets to a point where he's like, enough, okay, Israelites, Moses, take your people and get out of here. And he frees them, which is awesome. So step one is done, and now it's time for step two. Let's just go to the promised land. But look at what God does uh, directly after that. It says this in chapter 13. When Pharaoh finally let the people go, listen, God did not lead them along the main road that runs through Philistine territory, even though that was the shortest route to the promised land. Now, if you know your geography a little bit, there's a, a main ancient highway that runs from Egypt all the way up through the land of the Philistines, all the way to the promised land. And when they're freed, all these Israelites are basically standing on the highway. And so it's like you were freed in North Carolina, the promised land is up in Virginia, and God says, yeah, about that, we're going to do a little stopover in Georgia. 
And so Moses says, actually, God says, we're going to go this way. And the Israelites are like, what? Did you not update your Google Maps? Like, the promised land is that way. It's not that way. What in the world? That's the opposite way to the promise. Why is God asking us to go that way? What in the world could he be up to? There's so many questions. You ever experienced that in your life before? I have. You ever been in a relationship that you just knew was the right one? And you fell in love. You're probably young. And you thought they were your soulmate. And you made plans for your future. Maybe you even got a ring. And you knew this was God's plan for your life. Step one, first comes love. Then comes marriage, right? And then comes baby carriage. And you're like, we already fall in love. It's time for step two. And uh, a few months before the wedding, it all falls apart. Turns out they're not the one. And your plans aren't going to work out. And you're like, what in the world is God up to? Or maybe a lot of you have asked that question when it comes to your job. Like this is RTP. This is like where all the smart people in the world come to get jobs. So how many of you ever looked around your office and been like, I should be running this place. Not these bozos, right? Probably a lot of you. And so you've been working for a promotion or you want to get transferred as lead to this team. And you've been working hard and you know you're smart and you know you're capable. And then comes the downsize or the health scare. Or then they pass over you and they give it to someone else and you're just like, what in the world is going on? What's the deal? Why are you doing this? It's like you were knocking on the door to one of your dreams and God just kind of turns you around the opposite way. Why does he do that? Well, that's what's cool about this passage is that we actually get an answer to that why. Um, the author actually gives us a sneak peek as to why God would reroute our plans and delay the promise. And he actually gives us two. Here's the first one. Right after he says he's not going to take them on the shortest route, says this, God said, if the people are faced with a battle, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So God led them in a roundabout way through the what? The wilderness toward the Red Sea. God said, I could put you on that highway. We could go straight to the promised land in a few days, but here's the deal. If I took Israel there right now, they would freak out. Because in order for them to enter the promised land, they got to make other people exit. <laughs> There's people already living there that they're going to have to battle. They're going to have to kick out. And uh, they're brick makers right now. They are not courageous warriors. They need time to prepare. They're not ready for the promise. They have to figure out how to organize. They have to appoint leaders. They have to grow in their courage. They have to figure out what this whole independent nation thing is all about. So before the promise, they need some time of preparation first. And that's the first reason that God might bring you into a wilderness season, to prepare you. Um, this is, I had a dream as a kid. It's a weird dream. Um, but when I was in sixth grade, I was watching my youth pastor one time up on stage and he was teaching the Bible. And from sixth grade, I saw that and I was like, I want to do that with my life. It's a weird dream. I know some people want to be firemen or astronauts. I want to be a preacher. And uh, so I just idolized him and he made the Bible kind of come alive. And um, uh, sermons have changed my life throughout the years. So that's what I wanted to devote my life to. And so I went to college for that. And I worked on kind of honing uh, my preaching and my teaching craft for lots and lots of years. But there got to a point in my late 20s. Um, where I was okay at teaching, um, but I was pretty young and I was immature. And it's this weird place where a lot of people find them where your capacity kind of outpaces your character. Where if I got on stage and became a preacher, the off-the-stage life didn't really match it. 
And that's a dangerous place to be where your capacity outpaces your character. If you get in leadership there, man, a lot of people get hurt. And so God kind of brought me into a wilderness season, and it really was the first year and a half of planting a church. Um, and uh, so we felt called to plant a church, and so we moved up to Asheville. You know the whole story. Um, but the first year and a half was this super humbling time period. Um, where I had to learn how to fundraise and ask people for money, and I had to uh, get a launch team together and learn how to do a 501c3. And um, I, there was lots of um, humbling moments where people would stab you in the back or people would say they were going to move with you, and then they wouldn't. Just this crazy season where I was really in over my head. And the, but the cool thing was is that when I started that season and when I started church planning, I knew, I thought that I was pretty good at about 20 or 25 things. At the end of the first year and a half of church planning, I really knew that I was okay at like two things. <laughs> and it was just the season where God spoke to me clearly, like, hey, here's what I created you to be, and here's what I haven't created you to be. And here's what I've called you to, and here's what I've not called you to. And it was one of the most clarifying year and a half of my entire life. One of the cool things is the Hebrew word for uh, wilderness is midbar. Everyone say midbar. Interesting word. If you cough, it sounds more Hebrew, right? Midbar or something like that. Um, but that word midbar um, actually means uh, wilderness or a desolate place. Um, it's where like Israel shepherds would take the sheep after like the yearly rains and stuff. But that, that word, the root of that word can also mean mouth or speak. And uh, you actually see this crop up in the Song of Songs. It's this, this love ballad between a husband and wife-to-be. And one of the verses he says, You're, you have a lovely mouth, a lovely mouth. And that word for mouth is actually midbar. And uh, the bride-to-be just takes that as a super big compliment. So maybe you should try that tonight, husbands. I don't know. Just say, girl, your midbar is dope. And if it works, it works. Um, there's another place in Hosea who's a prophet. And God tells him to marry a prostitute. Who says the Bible's boring, right? But her name's Gomer. And at one point, God's pursuing Gomer, and he says this in chapter 2, but then I will win her back once again. I will lead her into the desert and speak tenderly to her there. And that word for desert and speak tenderly is the same root. It's midbar. And uh, that's why a lot of the ancient Hebrews called the wilderness the place of speaking. It's the place of speaking. It's the place where the noise of the world kind of dies down and the noise of all the people in your life dies down and even that internal dialogue kind of dies down and it's just you and it's just God. And it's in the silence of the wilderness that God speaks the clearest and the loudest to his people. And that's what happened to me through that year and a half of church planning, that first year and a half. And uh, it was cool because after we were done with church planning, we, it was financially self-sufficient. We felt God moving us on. And because we had learned to listen to the voice of God, we were, we were able to discern, I think God wants us back at Hope, and you've heard the story. And so we called Jason Gore back up. Hey, we'd love to come back. Is there a spot for me? Yeah, we'd love to have you. So we came back on staff. And, uh, but our, our whole entire motivation was different. Uh, Jenny and I's mission statement really for coming back to Hope was we just want to serve in whatever way it helps Hope reach it to the next 25 years. Because God's done some amazing stuff this first 25 years. We want to play a part and sing the next 25 years to come to fruition and just hand off the baton. And there really was not a need and there wasn't a desire in my heart to teach. There wasn't a deep desire or need to lead. I was just willing to serve wherever um, just to help God's mission continue. And it's interesting that that's when God said, okay, I want you to teach now, right? 
some of you might be in a similar spot. Some of you might be really desperate for a relationship right now. And uh, you're single and all your friends ain't. <laughs> and uh, you've seen it happen. You've seen them find the one and fall in love. And uh, you were there taking pictures for the engagement. And you were like, this should be me. This should be me. And you got ten bridesmaids' dresses or five tuxes that you've had to rent for all your friends' weddings. And they've got married. And they've had kids. And deep in your heart, you're like, why are you not letting me have this? When is this going to happen? What are you doing? Why are, you, why are you taking this away from me? But the truth is, if you were honest with yourself, God would say you're not ready for a mature, godly relationship right now. And you can tell because you've been so desperate for that relationship, you've, you've, you've let down your guard, you've lowered your standards, you've probably dated some people that you shouldn't. Maybe there's a string of relationships you've been through and it just ends poorly every time because you're just not ready. And this is a season, a wilderness, a desert season, where instead of just being consumed with who in the world am I supposed to marry, you should be concerned with am I the type of person that is ready to be married and to honor God through that. Or maybe, like I said earlier, it's with your job that, that you've been waiting for a promotion for years and they just keep overlooking you and you've been pointing your finger at the boss or their boss saying, if they knew how smart and how capable I was. They would put me in that position. They would give me that job. And you've been asking God, what are you doing? Why are you letting them overlook me? When are you going to give me this place? When the truth is, if you got that job right now, you would blow it in two weeks because you're not ready. And God wants to use this wilderness season to prepare you to work in you some humility or some self-awareness or um, some, some mutual trust on your coworkers so that when you do get that job, there's trust built in, right? And I could go on and on and on, but that's what you see in the rest of this book. By the time the Israelites leave Mount Sinai, which is a, a year after this, they're not this disorganized band of brickmakers. When they leave the mountain, they're actually lined up in ranks. They've organized themselves into the 12 tribes. They got banners. They got leaders. And by the time they make it to the promised land 40 years later, they're courageous. And they don't back down. And they're warriors, you see, because, because sometimes God brings you into the wilderness. Because before the promise, you need to be prepared. But God shows us another reason, just the last one for why he might bring you into a wilderness season. And it's probably a reason you've never thought of before. It says this, Then God gave these instructions to Moses, order the Israelites to turn back and to camp by Pi-ha-haroth between Migdal and the sea and camp there along the shore across from Baal-zephon. Then Pharaoh will think the Israelites are confused. They're trapped in the wilderness. And once again, I will harden Pharaoh's heart and he will chase after you. And I have planned this, underline this, in order to display my glory through Pharaoh and his whole army. After this, the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. And so the Israelites camped there as they were told. God goes to Moses and says, all right, you're on the highway. I don't just want you to take an off-ramp. I want you to go to a dead end. And I want you Israelites to camp between the Egyptians you know, your enemy that wants to murder you and has chariots and weapons. I want you to camp between them and an impassable sea. And Pharaoh's going to see you and be like, those dudes are idiots. It's going to be like shooting fish in a barrel. And he's going to come after you and he's going to chase. But listen, when all's said and done, when all's said and done, you and Pharaoh and this part of the globe are going to see my glory. And that's the second reason 
God might lead you into the wilderness for his glory. Sometimes the reason he leads you into the desert or into this wilderness has nothing to do with you. Sometimes you know what you need to know about God. Sometimes you have that relationship that you need to have. Sometimes you're mature and you're prepared and your character is the character that it should be. But sometimes he leads you in the wilderness, not for your sake, but for other people's sake. You know, as pastors, we get the awesome opportunity to celebrate with people on their happiest days and to mourn with people on their saddest days. And so we, whenever you see a pastor walk into a church, you got to ask, is it a wedding or is it a funeral? Um, and oftentimes when we're helping someone grieve, we don't just show up at the hospital that first day, but we actually get the awesome opportunity to walk with them for weeks or for months after the wreck or after the health scare. And um, I can't tell you how many times I've heard a story that's not exactly this, but similar where the person will say, hey, I still don't know why God allowed that wreck or allowed that health scare. I have no idea. He knows what he's doing. I don't. But one cool thing is that both my neighbors are coming to church with me now. And I ask, well, how in the world did that happen? And they're like, well, they just kind of sat there and they watched meal after meal be delivered. And they saw the get well sign on the, the mailbox. And they saw some guys from my small group cut the grass and bring out the trash. And when I was finally kind of ready to, uh, able to get up and about, my neighbor knocked on the door and said, did you like hire all those people to do all that sort of stuff? And uh, I say, no, 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 that, that's my church. We just love each other, my brothers and sisters, and we just serve each other when we're hurting, and we just have fun. It's, 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 it's my group. It's my family. And the neighbor says, you think I could go to a church like that with you? <laughs> and they say, yeah. Or, you know, a story like I wanted this promotion and my job for years and years and years. And everyone in my office knew that I wanted the promotion. And they thought that I should get it too. And they passed over me and gave it to some new person, right? And it stung. And it hurt. And I don't know why God allowed that. He has his reasons. I'm just going to trust it with it. But one cool thing is that I had a worker come up to me months after that and say, why are you handling this so weird? <laughs> why are you so different than everyone else? Why don't you get mad? Why don't you complain to HR? How can you just sit back and allow that to happen? And I got the awesome opportunity to say, well, you know, my hope's not ultimately in my job. It's in Jesus, and I just trust him, and he says he'll give me his daily bread. You see, as Christ followers, listen, we never suffer in secret. You might think you do, but we always go through suffering in front of a watching world. And when we're wounded, when we're cut, when life just hits us hard and what spills out is not anger and it's not bitterness and it's not hatred and it's not despair and it's not self-pity, but instead it's, it's hope and it's perseverance and it's humility and it's love. People notice. And some of those people that notice will lean in. And some of those people that lean in will begin to ask questions. You see, it's in the wilderness seasons it's in those desert wanderings where people get to see that the hope that we have comes from a very different place than where they place their hope. And we've told them how good and how satisfying Jesus is. They've heard us tell them, but when we go through our own season, they get to see it with their own eyes, you see. 
So sometimes, but not all the times, but sometimes God's purpose in leading you into the wilderness, the answer to that why or that what or that when will this end, it has nothing to do with you. And it's got everything to do with his glory. And that's what you see in this story as well. Is Israel is camped by the sea. Pharaoh starts to pursue them. And uh, God splits the Red Sea wide open. And he allows Israel to walk through. We'll talk about that in three weeks, how crazy an event that is with millions of people. And then as the last Israelite leaves the Red Sea, the Egyptians pursue them. The moment the last Egyptian enters the sea, the sea closes over them. And God single-handedly in a moment destroys the most powerful army, the known world at that moment. And what you see later in the story is that later after Mount Sinai, the first city they get to and then the next and then the next and then the next, the people won't lay a hand on them. They honor them. They're afraid of them because the glory of their God has reached almost the entire known world. That's just two reasons, right? And we're going to go through a lot more. And this is just a short little example of a wilderness wandering. So it might be to prepare you. It might be for God's glory. But one thing that we're going to see in every single wilderness wandering is that it always has the same result. It's the same in this story. It's at the end of chapter 14. It says this, when the people of Israel saw the mighty power that the Lord had unleashed against the Egyptians, they were filled with awe before him. And they put their faith in the Lord and in his servant Moses. <laughs> you see this every single time. There will come a moment, I don't know if you're in the midst of a wilderness situation, I don't know if you're just coming out of one, but there will come a moment when all of those what's, like what in the world are you doing? What could you be working in me through this? All of those whys, why are you allowing this? Why aren't you stopping this? All of those wins, like when will this end? When will you finally give me the promise? All of those what's and all of those whys and all of those wins. Well, one day I promise it'll turn to worship. And not just like, a, oh, okay, now I see the reason for that. But no, this, this, this thankfulness and gratefulness overflowing out of your heart. Praise God for that wilderness season. I thought I didn't see it in the moment. I didn't notice it in the midst of it. But you weren't trying to harm me. You were healing me. You weren't trying to hurt me. You weren't trying to destroy me. You were directing me. You weren't punishing me. You were, you were providing for me. You were protecting me and you were preparing me for one day when I could finally have that promise. So that's just a short story. I, I don't know where you are. Maybe you're in the midst of a wilderness season right now. Maybe you came out of one years ago and you don't understand it yet. And so there's this bitterness, this anger towards God. I think you should come back for the rest of the series. I know all of you have friends and you have neighbors and you have coworkers that are going through divorces, that are going through hard times with their kids, that are going through their own wilderness, series, wilderness seasons. How cool would it be to play a part in God's plan to draw them close through that season by inviting them to come back? So I am so stinking excited for the next few weeks. Make sure you come back and invite a friend. But let me pray before we worship. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that it's given in love and that it's true. Father, I pray that you would bless this series as we just dive deep. We spent a long time um, talking about what we need to do for you. Um, and so I pray that you would just refresh us as we take some time to, to just sit back and say, what have you done for us? What do you do for us? What are you doing for us right now? And so, Father, would you speak to us through this series, through your word? And we love you and we praise you and we ask all of these things in the beautiful name of Jesus. 
Thank you for listening to the Hope Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this message and encourage you to share it with your friends and family. If you live in the greater Raleigh-Durham area in North Carolina, we'd love to meet you at one of our weekend gatherings. For campus locations, service times, and information on our children and student environments, check out gethope.net. To make sure you don't miss our next message, please take a moment to hit the subscribe button. We would like to invite you to support what we are doing by visiting gethope.net slash give. Through generosity of people like you, Hope can run programs like our food pantry, homework club, project classroom, and many more.